right, you guys, welcome to episode 57 of The Smush Room, the podcast that deep dives in the well-known and more importantly, not so well-known hookups of your favorite reality TV stars. It's me, Troy McKeady, and I'm, uh, for the first time in like over a month, I have a guest. So like, yes, you're, you're lucky that you don't have to just sit and listen to me ramble for an hour today. Um, I'm going to be recording today with my friend Jamie Schooler, who is, uh, I don't know, like, Jamie, we met via the internet, and now you're like one of my favorite Australians in the world. Australian, I'm English. Are you not in Australia? No. Why did I think that? <laughs> no, I'm English. Why did I think you lived in Australia? <laughs> I'm very far away from Australia. Yeah. No, you're so far from Australia. <laughs> Do I sound Australian? Not at all. <laughs> not at all. I just like thought that you lived in Australia. No, but I'm 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 touched that I'm still your favorite Australian. <laughs> well, now if we're being honest, like I mean, is Kylie's Australian, right? Minogue. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Kylie's my actual favorite Australian, but now you're my favorite person in the UK. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> By the way, this is also like 10 a.m. Troy. So like everybody knows that me via the morning is just like in the morning. I'm basically like the mom character in Rec Room for a Dream. Just like truly having (laughs) mental naps in my apartment, like not stable in any way. So like until until noon, I'm just not going to be myself. Okay. Okay. (laughs) Um, How are you? Yeah, I'm really, really good. I am very happy that you asked me to record today because uh, we're talking about someone who I love very dearly. And I would say that she is possibly, in a quiz, she would be my specialist subject just because she's so fascinating. So you guys were talking about Anna Nicole and Howard K. Stern today. And uh, when Jamie and I were messaging about this, you sent me, I knew that it was right because you sent me uh, the White Trash Nation. <laughs> um, uh, was that, is that Newsweek? Uh, it was New York Magazine from 1994. And I've been, I've been trying to find it for about a year or so. Um, and it kept coming up on eBay and then I kept missing it. And then I finally got a copy and it's the most iconic cover. It's just Anna Nicole circa 94, wearing white cowboy boots, a pink halter neck, eating a bag of chips and crouching on the floor, and then in big, like, letters across it, it's this white trash nation. Um, I mean, it's really, like, you know that, like, a person is a real Anna Nicole fan if they even, like, know that that magazine exists, because it's so iconic. It's so iconic. And that's why she's my queen. <laughs> she's just everything. And I'm so, I'm, I've been wanting for a really long time to talk about Anna. And I didn't know like in what context to start because she's dated so many interesting people that are like dark. I mean, including our uh, current president here in the States, Mr. Trump. Um, and he was like terrible to her. So she's just had so many uh, dark and interesting relationships. But like, I feel like Howard is definitely the most profound, like, male relationship for her, without any doubt. Absolutely. I mean, obviously, J. Howard Marshall was an interesting one, but kind of, it wasn't really dark, you know? I feel like that was at a point where, you know, there was darkness on her part, but I think 
that particular era was almost like her slice of normality, even though it was so far removed from kind of what we consider as normal. Right. Yeah. And then I think from then on, when she met Howard, it, yeah, that was the real turning point for her. And for him, you know, his life, I think, obviously changed dramatically. Yeah, I mean, it's interesting, too, because it's like, I don't know, I was really... How old are you? I'm 31. Okay, so I'm 30. Okay. And I remember when the uh, when the Anna Nicole show was on and, like, when Anna was, like, at the peak of this, like, sort of second phase of her career where she was, like, this B-list kind of, like, train wreck. Um, I... I mean, like, I don't know if it was because I was super young or maybe I just wasn't... I don't know what's going... I don't know what the deal was, but I didn't really... Like, this relationship is weird because it was, like, we always thought weird sexual things were happening between she and Howard, of course, but it was never, like, definitively spoken. Like, yeah, we're in a relationship or, like, we're dating. And then all of a sudden, when all this baby and maternity stuff started happening paternity sorry um he they were married we were like oh okay okay i guess um but yeah i guess we can go ahead and like get started um as always i took an absurd amount of notes i mean it's anna so i couldn't stop and up until like literally 2 30 or 3 in the morning last night i was just like watching youtube videos and i sent jamie this like this link to uh one of my favorite like Anna Nicole YouTube videos ever. And it's like these rare, this rare, this montage of like rare paparazzi footage from like. I'd never, I'd never seen those before. And I watched them when I was eating my lunch earlier on. And it was just fascinating. It's wild. I felt like I could have just rewatched it over and over again because it's so, she's mesmerizing. I know. All of the right reasons and also all of the wrong reasons. Um, but yeah, like that, that, that montage was really, really spoke to me. And it was, I guess like what I, when I was watching it, as, you know, incoherent as she was in some of the videos, like I feel like you saw how actually really, really beautiful that she was. Yeah. Um, You know, and she had this, like, charisma that not many people really had. And I I kind of felt a bit sad because she came across as so charismatic in in a lot of this footage that we've both watched. And I felt like maybe she was never fully aware of that, that she had that quality. Yeah. No, I completely agree with you. I mean, she definitely has, like... That's that was the biggest takeaway for me after watching that because it's like twenty minutes long this footage and it's interesting because it's a montage from you know the early nineties to like you know the year before she died and it's yeah. just this rare footage of her being photographed and and like talking to the paparazzi and like we all know Anna Nicole loved being photographed and she loved being you know she loved her paparazzi so she would sit out there and talk to them for like hours. Um, but yeah, I mean, she goes from states of being like extremely coherent and like quick and funny and like on it to being like, you know, totally incoherent Anna, but like, you know, just like sad, like lipstick smeared and like a mess. But like, no matter what, like you said, always just so charismatic. And she had like whatever that thing is that I always talk about, like with certain people where they, you could literally watch them read a phone book and it would be like the most like 
mentally stimulating thing ever. <laughs> um, Anna had that thing, whatever it is. I totally agree. Like, you know, she could talk the alphabet, you know, for five mm-hmm. hours straight, and I'd probably be gripped on every letter that she said just because she has that she has that thing that not many people have. And yeah. It, you know, kind of what really spoke to me is like, given the, the way that she looked and she, you know, she was beautiful and, you know, the, the struggles with drugs and alcohol and all that and kind of her weight gain and stuff, you know, she got a really, really, really bad rap. And, you know, towards the end of her life, she was basically just known for being overweight. And yeah, that, that must have been... Um, sorry about that. No, it's um, fine. Um, that must have just really derailed kind of her ever having insight to that charisma that she had, you know, that she possessed. Yeah. Really, really sad. Oh, it's so sad. The way this girl, this woman was treated by the media and by the general public and just maybe not even knowing, like her being the person who was so addicted to the idea of being famous and so like, you know, driven and like hungry for more fame and like more whatever, just attention in whatever way she could get it. I don't know if she ever was fully aware of how poorly she was actually treated. Yeah, no, I totally agree. Um, I don't think the people around her allowed her to ever be that fully aware either. Yeah. And I feel like that's where... Howard comes into this in terms of kind of their relationship and what what he offered her. And, you know, I think... I think they're two people that met who like to get completely fucked up, but also, yeah. like, he also offered her that escape route for her to not actually have that opportunity to fully digest kind of, like, what was going on really in reality. Because, you know, if we learn anything from that e-show you know as fascinating as it is it you know even through the viewer's eyes you watch that and it's like you're watching it on drugs it's such a a fucking parallel universe to kind of what we're used to it's so true and you're i mean like you could not be more right like howard was specifically howard was like sort of the ultimate like enabler you know like the 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 sort of definition of what it means to enable a person, like Anna's version of reality was so skewed and one-sided and uh, just so specific to like how she felt like she should be living because Howard provided her the ability to black out anything. I mean, her family, anything that made her uncomfortable for more than a couple minutes, it just didn't exist, you know? It, it's always, it's also interesting, like, because, you know, we know a lot about Anna's history and, you know, you know she went through, you know, various degrees of trauma and, you know, we, we kind of get an understanding as to why she was the way she was. But we, we seem to know very little about Howard and why he, mm-hmm. you know, why he was so up for living fast and loose. Obviously, you know, we, it's very clear that... Anna offered him, you know, his relationship with Anna gave him an opportunity to, you know, further his career or whatever that was. But the the bond that they had was they liked, they really liked getting totally fucked up. And I, I, I'm always really interested in where that darkness came from for Howard, why, yeah. why he 
that way, what may be why he is that way. You know, we don't really know that much about him anymore. But I kind of, I wonder what the motivations were for him and what he was running from. I've never even really thought about that, but it's so true. Because, like, I mean, you have to imagine that Howard was dealing with some really dark shit for him to, you know, be around the shit that he, I mean, like, even just, I mean, we're going to, obviously, once we get into it, we're going to get into the Anna Nicole show, of course. But, like, even just, you know, episodes like their Christmas special, I mean, my God, like, for Howard to be around that kind of debauchery and think that it's, like, a normal way to live, and then to have a teenage boy upstairs, like, waiting for his mom to come tuck him in, in that state, and for Howard to think it's normal, obviously, he was, like, dealing with some really dark shit, too. It's it's interesting that you talk about the Christmas episode because there's one really defining moment in that in, in which I saw this this kind of sadness slash darkness in Howard. It's when they are all sat around um, in the living room and Anna's walking across the floor and Shelley's trying to like latch on cousin Shelley. We need to talk about her as well, <laughs> of course. <laughs> but, but Shelley's like leaning in towards Howard and then Anna's like crawling across the floor and she's on Howard's she's got her arms on Howard's lap and Howard is just like completely out of it slurring like staring at Anna Anna's also you know very much in the same state and I just there's a moment in that scene where I just thought why is he why is he trying to get so out of himself? What What's making him do this? You know, is it something that he's running from? Or is it he can't deal with this reality that he's created for him and Anna? I, I don't know. But there's something in that that I found really interesting. Oh, my God. You just <clears throat> single-handedly made Howard an interesting person to me. <laughs> I told you before we started recording that Howard is truly nothing more to me than like a... Uh, like a J.C. Penney's dad jean up to his navel wearing just boring lawyer. But like, you know, everything surrounding him was so wild. But now I'm a little bit more interested. Yeah, I mean, to be to be completely honest with you, I've always thought he's a cunt and I still think he's a cunt. But Absolutely. He was obviously a cunt in pain and that that's the area that I find interesting, you know, and as I've said to you, without him, without Anna, he wouldn't be interesting, you know? Um, yeah. But kind of that level of insanity that we were given the insight to within the show, um, you've got to have been facing some dark shit to even, like, put up with a percentage of that, you know? Absolutely. To I mean, to think that that's normal and to allow it to be happening, like I said, with a a you know fifteen year old boy in the house who's like desperately trying to like protect his mom from looking like an idiot. You know, it's just it's so sad. Um, but <clears throat> I'm gonna go ahead and introduce the episode now because I could truly, literally, like this will happen for five hours for me. <laughs> um, so Anna and Howard. According to what I read, I mean, I don't know, like I said earlier, I don't know if I said this before we started recording or during, but like, I, I don't, I, I don't understand like a definitive time that Anna and Howard like were considered to be quote dating. I mean, like, had they definitely been having sex since probably the, the minute they met? Sure. Uh, but like, according to what I read on the internet, they, the relationship started in May of 2002 and they got married on September 26th of 2006. I don't understand how that's, like, 
I don't know who was able to definitively be like, this is when Howard like got down on one knee and said like, will you be my gal to Anna? Like, you know what I mean? It's confusing. I feel like as well, like if given the amount of drugs that they were both on, I don't think they even knew like when they officially got together. I, and I, and I guarantee that they probably couldn't even remember the first time it was when they did eventually hook up. (laughs) Oh Yeah. It's very true. (laughs) Um, uh, And yeah, I mean, they initially met in the mid-90s. I think it was around 97. Um, Howard's law firm handled her modeling contracts. And, you know, for a short period, he represented her in court before they started filming a reality show and he wasn't allowed to anymore, um, which is insane. I always forget that Howard was like, I, I almost forget that Howard was her lawyer sometimes. Yeah, no, totally. It's a bit of a mindfuck. Yeah. That's how they started out together. Like, to see photos of him, you know, in the courtroom during the trial for her her fortune, I was like, oh, my God. Like, he was there for all that stuff, and I completely just wiped it out. Mm. Um, and, yeah, I mean, I, I know that this is something I said to you before we started recording, but to me, the most interesting thing about Howard K. Stern has always been that he is this sort of like Svengali, almost like a Sam Lufty character in my mind. That's just like the way I've always viewed him as like this guy who like promised her the world. And, you know, she thought she was being protected by him no matter what. And, you know, who knows if he always had her best interests? Obviously not. I mean, it's very clear that he didn't. Um, and, uh, yeah, I mean, as we all know now, Anna very tragically passed away in 2007. And, you know, she's just one of those really tragic public figures that you kind of look back on. And it's like we all kind of knew that there was no way that Anna was would be able to sustain her lifestyle for longer than, you know, how long she was alive, basically. Like, she was just one of those people that you definitely sort of knew would, like, live fast and die young, unfortunately, and just, like, impact the world in, like, a huge way. Um, but yeah, I mean, it's still, it still feels so crazy to me that it's been so long since Anna passed away. I mean, yeah, it's been like, what, 11 years? Yeah. Um, and still like, it doesn't seem like that long ago, you know, the, the drama, I think because there was so much drama, there's so much there to still unpick, you know, in terms of what happened, you know whether it's her death, whether it's, you know, the first marriage, whether it, whatever it is, that she was always surrounded by such chaos that it's still being digested, I guess. Um, yeah. That's what makes this so fascinating. I, one of the one of the things that I didn't actually know, and before speaking to you, like, it was quite similar to you, Troy, I was doing some research and, like, jotting down, like, frantically some notes, and one of my favourite things that I found out and I didn't know already was, um, so, before Howard actually got on board with the reality show, his law firm dissolved. Um, so, what he did, he ran a, an apartment in Santa Monica where he ran, he set up a business which he ran out of it. Uh, that business was called Hot Smoochy Lips Incorporated. <laughs> Oh my god, I forgot that I wrote this down. I forgot that this was a thing. Oh my god. 
and Hot Smoochy Lips Incorporated is the talent agency that had only Anna on there as a client. <laughs> oh my god! I, after I said that, I just wanted to go onto my LinkedIn profile and say that like, it turns out Hot Smoochy Lips Incorporated because I can't make that name up. It's just brilliant. It's beyond. And like, first of all, I'm looking for a career change. Howard is like 100% listening to this right now. So like, Howard, if you're listening, I'm like... I'm a fast typer. I, you know, I have, a way, I have a, a way of stringing words together. I've been told so. Like, whatever you need, I'm down to work for Hot Smoochy Lips Incorporated. Same, same. I'll do anything. I'll do anything. <laughs> like whatever. <laughs> um, we should talk about um, Anna's psychotic childhood and what led her up to meeting Howard. Like. You want to talk about a true rags to riches story. Anna's life is seriously like, I wrote down on my notes that Anna was almost like her life is like a lifetime retelling of a story, but it's her actual life. It's, it totally is. It's that Cinderella. It's that Marilyn Monroe. It's like she did it. And it's, it's so by the book in terms of a fairy tale. It's bizarre. <laughs> yeah. You know, the twists and turns that come with it, you know. She had, she was really, really poor. She came from such a poor family. And, you know, going from working in, what was it? Her first husband was, she met her first husband because they worked in the same, like, fried chicken shop. Yeah, it was Jim's crispy fried chicken, which like is on my bucket list. When you come to the states, like we have to figure out a way to get to Jim's crispy fried chicken. Like I'm, I'm like, I'm fully ready for the road trip to Mahia, Texas. Um, oh God. <laughs> this happened. Like this is like oh, the fantasy. Um, yeah. yeah, and just you know, they met there, and then. Obviously, she had Danny Lynn at such a young age as well. And then, you know, she got into stripping. And it's so, it's so cliched, like, what happened. But it was her life, you know? Yeah. It's what really happened. And when you say it out loud and you process it, it's like, it's so bizarre and funny. You know, she goes in and she's this, like, geeky, uh, you know, this kind of, odd-looking stripper and then you know she saves up money and she gets several boob jobs and then you know lo and behold one day this 89 year old billionaire comes in on his wheelchair and you know away from stripping it's something that i also wanted to talk to you about something that i'm really really i always so whenever i take notes for this podcast like there's always one random thing about the person that I actually care about. Because I always care about one person more than the other, of course. Yeah. Um, and with Anna, for me, it was like, okay, so Anna was born, she's had like eight names, and technically she was born Vicky Lynn Hogan. Okay. Um, and like the, the very beginning stages of her life are very interesting because she's one of those people who like sort of tries to rewrite her story. Um, yeah. Like that to me is like very... So she was, like, born technically in Houston. She was raised in Mejia. Um, you know, she, like we both said, she had a very sort of stereotypically poor, what you would consider, like, American white trash, yeah, almost, like, television white trash family. Um, and, like, the real story is that when she moved, she moved in ninth grade to live with her aunt, um, and she dropped out of school her sophomore year, like, 
you know, her mom had her when she was 16. Like, she just, like, her dad was, like, a known rapist and, like, a pedophile. And her mom was a sheriff. So she had these very contradicting uh, moral beliefs as a kid where she was, like, my dad's a rapist, my mom's a cop and, like, conservative and whatever. Um, but, yeah, and then she went and got a job at Jim's Crispy Fried Chicken and met her future her future husband, Billy Wayne Smith. Um, but, like... You know, she comes from this really dysfunctional family and she used to, she started lying about her life as a kid where she yeah. would tell people that like her aunt was actually the one who was her. She would, she would tell people that her aunt was her illegitimate mother, that she was like her illegitimate child. And like, she wouldn't tell people that she was raised in Houston. Um, and she changed her name a couple times. Like she yeah. became Mickey Hart and you know, there that was, like, who Anna was. Like, she was this woman sort of running. Like, her strive to be famous and successful and known was, like, all lit by the idea that she wanted to forget who she really was, which is really sad. Yeah, no, totally. Um, I find what's interesting, like, you're totally right. She She often, you know, fabricated her past and whatever and changed the details, but you know, in order to be more interesting or whatever, but you know, she she genuinely couldn't have never imagined to end up in that opportunity where she was essentially taken away from all that kind of pain that she was feeling by meeting, you know, J. Howard Marshall. Um and having that having that opportunity presents itself is such a it's quite fucking bizarre, but also it's like a it, it makes that story for her like almost a fairy tale because I get the feeling that she wanted to be rescued from that, you know, she yeah. in a way. Um, one of my favourite things, though, about her in that period is that she got all of her family members to have Anna Nicole Smith tattoos. Oh, my God. It's truly, I'm like, where's mine? Crazy. Like, Mom, you need to get a tattoo with me. And, you know, her cousins had, like, faces of her on their back. <laughs> <laughs> her so the one cousin that has the literal the like the photo of her like draped in a fur on her back um she's my favorite cousin by the way and also um that's my favorite tattoo that's not cousin shelly though is that no it's her younger cousin um she's like blonde and she does a lot of interviews about i know, like, I know the one you mean yeah she's always a talking head and like yes she lives for like an ID network interview about Anna Nicole's life. <laughs> um, another really interesting thing that I didn't know about, and this totally relates to Anna's issues with addiction. So like she became obsessed with the idea of like, you know, she started stripping after she had Daniel and um, she got married to this fry cook um, from Jim's Crispy Chicken. And she became obsessed with the idea of getting implants because she, you know, she was really small chested and she wanted big boobs. So over the span of a few years, she saved $14,000. Um, and she was also only allowed to work the day shift at the strip club because they said that she was like too chubby and she was too flat chested and she was awkward. So she wanted these big boobs so that she could like work at night. And she got her, like, iconic 42 double D boobs, but they, like, gave her problems her whole life, and they are the sole reason that she ever had drug issues. Yeah, it was back pain, like, constantly. I did not know that. 
Do you know what I also find interesting? And I, I don't mean to discredit her abilities at life, but for someone who is so chaotic, I do find it. I, I do find it like quite impressive that she was able to save fourteen thousand dollars. Oh, I was fully blown away. I mean, are you kidding? How did she do that. That's a lot of money to save when, I mean, from what she described, she was making like $50 a night and she thought that was a lot of money. Like, is, is, is stripping in Mahaya, Texas that lucrative? I mean, in the desert during the day. <laughs> I, I don't know. You know what I mean? I mean, I don't know what route truckers take, but I'm guessing maybe that's like, Mahaya is a focal point of like a lot of truck stops. I don't know. Yeah. I... That's a lot of money to save. Yeah, I mean, it, it does bring up some questions in terms of, like, was it just stripping? You know? <laughs> oh, absolutely. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, she had her, you know, she had back pain, she had neck pain, her implants ripped open twice. Yeah. Um, and so she started, you know, taking pills to kind of deal with the pain. And that was, like, truly the reason her whole life that she took pills was because she had all these these pains and she had like she you know later on she had like seizures and stuff and like her pills were completely i mean obviously anna nicole was abusing medications but like it started off as like pain management and that always makes me just so sad like it just kills me it is super sad that that was the catalyst for her you know ultimately dying like 20 what 20 years later or so yeah all because she had, you know, she was obsessed with getting some really big titties. <laughs> <laughs> now we have to talk about her meeting Howard Marshall. This is like her, her <laughs> prince, as I like to call him. Have you, uh, have you, you've watched the Lifetime film, haven't you? Oh, of course. I, I just, I love the way it's depicted in, <laughs> in that. It's just, he comes across as such a nice, <laughs> man. <laughs> He like wheels in on his little chair to take her off into the distance. <laughs> sweet. <laughs> I know, and it's like he always does, even in real life, he always looks very like sweet. Like you're all like, oh, like he's a little he's a little thing. But then you see young pictures of Howard Howard Marshall and you're like, oh yeah, like this is a literal conservative, like gun toting oil tycoon. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Who was, like, probably a monster in his youth. Like, you know... Oh, he had... total cunt, I'm sure. Like... <laughs> he was, like, so cute at, like, 97 years old. Um, so, in October of 91, she's, like, dancing at Gigi's nightclub. And she meets this 87-year-old oil tycoon named Howard Marshall, who was a billionaire because he owned 16% <clears throat> of Koch Industries. I think that's how it's pronounced. Um, he watched Anna saunter across Gigi's stage. <laughs> and uh, he asked for a private lap dance. And he was enamored by her. He invited her to lunch the following day. And Anna was like, you know, while they're eating lunch, she's like, well, babe, I have to go. You know, I have to go work my shift at Gigi's. And he's like, girl, he slid her a, a an envelope with $1,000 in it and said, you'll never work again. He said, quote, don't go to work, my lady love. You don't ever have to go back to work again. Oh, I'm just looking for a man that says that to me. I mean, where is my 87-year-old prince? Are you listening? Like, where are you? And she didn't even have to fuck him. 
I know. I read that. What did she say? They kissed a total of like ten times since she, she met him. Yeah. And like she was, he wasn't allowed to kiss her mouth. That's my favorite. <laughs> <laughs> it's so pretty, woman of her. Not on the lips, sir. Yes. <laughs> um, they got married in June. Or they got married on June twenty seventh of ninety four. And in a People magazine article that I read from nineteen ninety four, that I'm not kidding, literally starts with the sentence: "The bride wore cleavage." Uh, they mentioned that. You know, at this point, Howard had already given Anna, I mean, he had showered her with like millions of dollars worth of jewelry. Um, at the time, he was rumored to be worth like 500 million. Mm. Um, but they got married at the White Dove Chapel in Houston. Um, she wore a low cut, heavy satin gown, beaded, of course. Cool. That's, our, that's our glitzy gal. And um, <laughs> there were 11 people in attendance. Um, it's also worth mentioning that Howard's wife had just, his ex-wife had passed away and his mistress, who went by the name Diane Lady Walker, uh, who was known for painting her nails in 100% gold and matching her outfits to her Bentleys every day. Oh, what a woman. I mean, she had also just passed away and, uh. Yeah, after the wedding, Anna left Howard to do a photo shoot, and he sat in his wheelchair at the altar and cried and was yeah, photographed she, crying. She popped off to Grace, didn't she? She did. She was like, well, thanks for the memories. Bye. Bye. <laughs> <laughs> and then from then on, I think it's around that point, and this like, this just highlights what a fucking incredible tale this whole journey is for her. He ends up paying rent on Marilyn Monroe's house in LA where she moves to, doesn't she? Yes. That's like, it's bizarre. Like, she manifested this. Because, oh, fully. Because, you know, it's in everything, you know, she was always fixated with Marilyn Monroe. Like, you know, that was her, her idol, her aspiration, her, you know... And she got it. She like she did, she did it. She became the embodiment of Marilyn to the point where she lived in the house that she lived in. She literally became the embodiment of her, even in the most tragic ways that she didn't yeah. intend ever. Like she literally died, which obviously we're, we'll get to. But she died with like the same drugs in her body as Marilyn. Yeah. I mean, it's it's literally like. Oh, it's it's almost too much for my brain to like take. Like I can't bear it. Like, especially like the the fact that she ended up in that house and was just like, wow. She she really did that, and she went there, and she ultimately became the thing that she admired the most. You know, and that that is super sad, but also really impressive that. Oh, it's so impressive. She, I mean, look, she came from a place of yes, to quote um, Mrs. Frankel, Mrs. Bethany Frankel. Um, but she, uh, and then the next portion of her life is like Playboy. She yeah. sent her photos off to uh, LA, or she sent her photos off to Playboy. They said, come to LA and, you know, do a test or whatever. Um, and I watched this interview with this guy, Stephen Wada, I think you pronounce his last name, who was the Playboy photographer. And yeah, yeah. He, like, talked about how she was, like, you know, 
there's like this misconception that Anna like came in with like her boots kicking and like was like this big ray of light and you know took over the Playboy Mansion, but it was actually the complete opposite. Like she was very shy. Um, at the time, she was still going by Vicky Lynn. She like, you know, she was embarrassed of where she came from and her accent. And she was like a child almost. But then when she got in front of the camera, uh, she lit up. And I mean, he even had said that they were, he thinks that they were some of the best photos he'd ever taken in the history of like the whole magazine. Um, I mean, they, I do own Anna's Playboy, I will say. And it's like, those photos are, I mean, she is like, it's, it's insane to me that that was her first time being photographed, really. Yeah, yeah. Like, to be that, like, to light up like that on camera and to, like, look like that and to look like... She looked like she had been modeling for 30 years. Absolutely. And that's, like, that just goes to show, like... Because her modeling career, really, so much happened in such a short space of time. Like, because off the back of Playboy, she got gassed, didn't she? Yeah. It was, like, you know, Playboy obviously was a big deal... The photographer described it as, like, Playboy was a big deal, obviously, for people who read Playboy. It was, like, a big deal that this big, busted Southern woman had, like, you know, been dropped out of nowhere. But then Guess was, like, you know, that made her, like, an international, literal supermodel. I mean, she was literally... I just... I can't believe that there was, like, this time in Anna's life where she was considered a supermodel. Like... Well, this is it. Like, it was, at, it was at that period, like, you know, 93, 94, where you had Naomi, Christie, you know, all of the original supers. They were dominating the fashion industry. They were everywhere. And then to get someone like Anna come in, looking the way that she looked, you know, she was a total polar opposite to that, to those people who were like, stick thin, no tits. You know, she came yeah. in oozing glamour, oozing sex, you know, just worlds apart from these people and also up that level of fame like you said you know she became so well known so quickly as a result of that campaign which is so impressive you know considering probably two years ago she was giving hand jobs in a strip club i mean truly and married to like a pimply faced teenage boy who like did the fucking fries at a chicken place <laughs> you know what i mean and now she's like a guest like darling i mean it's like it is so wild i read that she the first year that she was signed to guess she made 26 million dollars in the first year um and uh yeah and then obviously you know along with guests like she changed her name to anna nicole um and she completely reinvented herself like i you know and i believe deep down anna's just like at the core of who she was, like, it was, like, a really... There was some really intense identity issues happening. And I feel like if she had worked through her problems and, like, sort of did years of therapy, sort of digging through, like, the root of her drug issues and, like, her need to escape, I really do feel like her identity issues and her problems with, like, accepting who she really was Mm. would have totally... I mean, because she was, like... This has to have been the happiest time of of her life when she finally changed her name totally changed her identity, became this completely different sort of like cartoon version of what she wanted to be. And it worked. I, I do. I, I totally hear you on that, but I do also feel like potentially given the amount of drugs that she was doing, you know, as we've highlighted, she, 
you know, was in a lot of pain from the, the boob job and everything. So I wonder how much of that experience she deprived herself as a result of the drugs. Oh, I yeah. Feel, I feel like it probably dulled down the experience quite a lot. And Oh, you're so right. That's sad. It's, it's really sad to think that, you know, she had this platform and, you know, she lost that guest campaign because of her behaviour. Yeah. You know, so it was it was always going on and it, you know, it was something that had started a couple of years before and I feel like had she not have gone down that route of getting surgery or whatever, maybe it would have been a lot different for her. Um, but yeah, like... It's such a shame that she had that. She had the world at her feet. And, you know, I think it's... I, I don't know exactly what the catalyst was for Gas to pull, pull her from the campaign, but it's really well done in the Lifetime film. I really enjoy it. <laughs> <laughs> she's, like, showing the pits in the shopping mall and then she goes to the street and has, like... She leses off with her friend while her son is standing in the doorway. And then she gets the phone call the next day being like, we can't work with you. <laughs> sure, that's not how it went down. But I know blow by blow what it was that made them, you know, give her the boot. Yeah, I did read that she, um, I don't know, I mean, I guess like in the, uh, in the, in the tale of, like, Anna Nicole, like, it's important to mention, I guess, that um, this was, like, around the time that she had her first, like, public um, overdose. Like, she, in 94, she was, like, partying at the Beverly Hills Hotel, and she ended up hospitalized because of uh, a mix of drugs and alcohol. And, um, yeah, I mean, it, it kind of, like, it was the beginning of the, uh, you know, it was such a short period that people like respected her. And even when they did, it's like in quotes, people didn't really ever respect Anna. And, you know, she's such like a, we'll always, I think that just the general public, like will always be so obsessed with this like rags to riches thing. Like watching somebody go from being like a poor fry cook to, you know, being like a glamorous supermodel. Like, you know, that's like an obsession that we have. And, uh, even during that time when people were the nicest to her, I think that they probably were in her whole career. Anything I ever read about her, people were still so incons. I mean, it was so disgusting the stuff people would say about her body and her being like, you know, the, the, the ways that they would like describe her, um, like the adjectives they'd use for basically calling her fat yeah. um, in creative ways. Like people just never really, respected her um but i guess that's not really what she was after she wasn't really after people's respect she just like wanted their admiration she just really wanted to be liked yeah you know going back to the kind of paparazzi footage like she's one of you know very few stars that would dedicate that amount of time like when she had all those flash bulbs on her she literally came alive Mm -hmm. she would you know, play play with them and everything. And I just feel like that just ties in so very much with her just wanting to be liked. I don't think it was ever about being respected. Yeah. That, you know, as you've said, the name Anna Nicole Smith, you know, for a lot of people is, has many connotations and it's someone that's messy, overweight, kind of, you know, 
a certain sort of person. And I think as out of it as she was, you know, when she, when she, she was aware of what people were saying about her, you know, and that kind of comes through in the, in the e-show, you know, kind of people giving her the fat jibes and stuff. And I just feel like that ultimately pushed her even further along the darker path. Um, oh, yeah. Especially, especially when you go from being this like, you know, international supermodel that isn't usually, you know, that didn't come from that supermodel mold to being, you know, whatever pounds she was overweight and, you know, being down on herself and, you know, you mix that with booze and pills and shit and just, no wonder, like, she kind of had a bit of a defeatist attitude. Oh, so true. Oh, God, it makes me so sad. I literally, I'm not even kidding, I cried yesterday when I was doing research for this. I watched, of course, like, it's so fun to, like, research her life and then you, like, you know, you you get to the end and, like, you inevitably know what's going to happen. And I, like, bawled when I was watching the, you know, the, like... And it was literally a reenactment that was, like, so cheesy on, like, some do- like some old documentary uh, from, like, the year that she died of them, like, retelling it. And it was, like... I oh, was my so God, crying. Troy, is it the um, 24 Hours of Anna Cole Smith's Life? Yes, yes! yes that makes me cry every time. Oh, my God, yes. <laughs> I died. I was, like, oh, my God. I was a mess. I literally cried myself to sleep. I'm not even kidding. Yeah, and it's they have the really shit reenactments, but... Yes! <laughs> um well we should talk about howard's death and this will and this meeting howard in this messy fucking court case um so 14 months after she married howard um he got violently ill and he passed away um and howard's sons had what the press called dueling funerals where anna she you know she wasn't allowed at theirs at the family funeral so she had her own um, she very famously wore her wedding gown to the funeral. Um, <laughs> and, you know... She sang a song, didn't she? She did sing him a song. Um, and she looked gorge. Uh, and she, you know, she was very adamant on the fact that after he passed away, that he had verbally promised her that he was going to give her half of everything. Um and that the remainder would go to his children. And she hired Howard K. Stern uh, to represent her in court. Um, and he became a really integral part of her life where like everything, anybody and anything coming in and out of Anna Nicole's life, Howard was in charge of, um, you know, if he wanted her to see something, she saw it. If he didn't, she just didn't, you know, he was her eyes and ears. And, um, you know, she had lost her modeling contracts. Like, the professional world was not checking for Anna Nicole at this point. Her life had become such a spectacle that, I mean, it was just like, you know, nobody took her seriously. And um, Howard promised her that he would be able to reinvent her life. Again, very like Sam Lufty to me. Mm. Um, Also, by the way, just to paint a picture of like what we're talking about as far as figures, his estate at that time was worth $1.5 billion and Anna was claiming that Howard had promised her half of his estate, which, like, is crazy to even, like... <laughs> it's crazy to even, you know, to try and justify. But, you know, 
I think she, she deserved that money just for the sheer shamelessness of <laughs> she was entitled to it. I know. It's so impressive. <laughs> I know. And like anybody who has, anybody who loves Anna Nicole has definitely watched this court footage. It is, I mean, to me, and this is no sarcasm, but dead serious, more riveting than the OJ trial. There, I said it. I'm just saying. Oh, God, no, I totally agree. Like, the amateur dramatics that she brought to that courtroom were just amazing. It was beyond words. I mean, like, the the sheer, like, nerve of her was just so... Like, you had to really give it to her for even... For six straight months, putting on a performance like that every day... Yeah. It was performance art. That's what it was. It was. It's the only way to describe it. I mean, it was just so melodramatic. It was like a telenovela. Yeah. <laughs> um, and yeah, by this time, Anna was a cultural phenomenon, but like also a laughing stock. Like she was like a late night punching bag. Like, you know, everybody was making fun of Anna Nicole. And um, this is like that, you know, white trash nation era of her life where people were just like, who is this woman that we like put on this pedestal? And it's like, what were you thinking? You thought that Anna Nicole born Vicky Hogan from Mejia, Texas from Jimmy's fried chicken was like some damsel. You know what I mean? It's like, (laughs) um, but yeah, this was uh, obviously a super public court case. And at the same time, Anna was also being sued by her name or yeah, her nanny uh, this 26-year-old woman who claimed Anna sexually harassed her. So she had these dueling court cases where, like, she whatever money she owed for that was then going to be brought into this. And she also had to file bankruptcy during the same time. So she was just, like, literally living in a courtroom. Um, and uh, the family, the family's attorney had basically determined that, like, in the in the big picture, Howard showered Anna with gifts, and literally he gave her twelve million dollars before she he died. Um, you know he bought her a uh, a fourteen acre like home. Uh, he got he bought her investment jewelry pieces that she could sell when if anything. I mean he literally set her up, and like his the, the family's lawyers were just like that was the point. Like he didn't leave you his fortune because he literally gave you a fortune before he died so that you were like, you should be good. (laughs) She got a very sweet deal. Oh my God. He gave her 12 million fucking dollars. The lawyer was like, I'm pretty sure anybody in this courtroom would be comfortable living for the rest of their life with $12 million. Like you should be fine. And she's like, -uh -uh. I need 88 million more. Um, (laughs) yeah so anna i mean she had to file bankruptcy uh she was hospitalized again very publicly in the middle of all this uh for six days from what her spokesperson said was an adverse reaction to medications oh of course as they all say um and in September of the year 2000, a California judge ruled in favor of Anna. Um, she was awarded $474 million. And then in May of 2001, a Los Angeles judge threw out the ruling previously awarded to her. And then in 2002, 
the U.S. District Court awarded Anna $88 million, um, and they concluded that she did deserve the money. Um, and, uh, yeah, I mean, it was just, and then it just went back and forth. Like, she literally would be given, like, a billion dollars, and then a month later they'd be like, no. Yeah. Over and over and over. I can't even imagine what that feels like. And, and you know, what's so impressive is she kept at it. Like, oh. I think... I I would reach a point where I'm like, fuck this, I'm just going to go and live a quiet life. Like, this is too stressful. But she was relentless. And I relentless. think really commendable that she stuck at it. And everything. <laughs> you know the best... And, and, like, you probably know what I'm going to say, but, like, Anna's best, like, line in court, right? Like, her most iconic... Okay, yeah, go, go ahead. So the guy, Rusty, um, this lawyer that she, like is like fighting with for six months on television. He's like, he says something about like Anna being spoiled. And he like brings up like how much Anna spends on herself. And she like literally truly thought in her heart that like it would garner sympathy. And she's like, Oh my God, it's so expensive to be me. She's like, you got to buy gowns, hair, makeup, jewelry, shoes. You know, you got to buy expensive coats, stuff for premieres. It's, it's exhausting. And, like, literally thought that the, the judge would feel bad. <laughs> Amazing. Oh. So good. Um, now, you know, we are inching towards the Anna Nicole show. Um, so, like, by the early 2000s, Anna's career is a fucking wasteland. It's truly just a gutter of what it was. And, you know, nobody's contacting Anna Nicole to be a part of their campaigns by the time she's fired from her agency She's a complete laughing stock. E basically reaches out to her and they're like, look, we'll buy you a house if you let us film you. Like, if you do this reality show, we'll, like, put you up in a mansion. They literally um, gave her everything for this show to happen. It is, like... I mean... In this the span of, like, this court case to the Anna Nicole show, it's so insane to me how much her life spiraled so fast. Yeah. And, like, where she was just mentally, physically, everything during, like, the even the first episode of that show <laughs> is beyond. I mean, it's wild. It is, without a doubt, probably the best television reality series ever. 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 Without any... I 100% agree with you. You could, it's, and it's untouchable. Um, that first season is just, it's like going, it's like taking acid and just <laughs> watching this parallel life just unfold in front of you. And all these, you know, as, as crazy and as chaotic as Anna is, it's the other people that are in the show as well. Like, and it's this. You know, it's these supporting characters that are enabling her behaviour, but they're also fucking crazy as well. And it's just... It's like the Adams Family on acid. It's just <laughs> amazing. It's magical. I just... Yeah. I want to ask you, as somebody who didn't grow up in this country, like, what was your... In, do you remember, like, your introduction to Anna Nicole and, like, what... As, like, a young person, like, what you thought of this show? Well, it was around, it came out around the time of, 
when reality TV started. So you had like the Osbournes, Rich Girls, um, that those kind of shows, which I was super interested in. And then yeah. I never knew I never knew anything about Anna until I remember watching the first episode and I must have been like okay, so it was like two thousand and one, two thousand and two, so I was like thirteen, fourteen. Mm-hmm. Um and I was just like, what the fuck is going on? Like who is this? <laughs> like I've always I've always been a supporter of, you know, the more sort of out there female from an early age like you know I was always super fond of like Courtney Love and people like that even mm-hmm. for as long as I can remember so as troubled as this woman seemed I obviously loved her I just was like this woman is a mess she's incredible uh obviously being young and not really understanding why she was the way she was and not really knowing her backstory as well um I just I found her fascinating slash terrifying um because she, because particularly in that show, she's essentially a cartoon character. Yeah. You know? Yeah. It's like just a really weird cartoon character. And like I say, you know, um, quite often in that show, the supporting cast take the attention off her, you know, from Kimmy to Howard to just the bizarre behaviour that makes up that show. Um I'd never seen anything like it. And, you know, that for me was in the era of like the Osbournes and rich girls where, you know, they were families of privilege and wealth, but there was always a kind of shine to their dysfunction. Mm -hmm. But with the Anna Nicole Smith show, there was no shine there. It was pure dysfunction and chaos and, you know, a real insight into something that I wasn't really aware of, I would say, at that point in my life. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's fascinating because it's like, you know, this was, like you said, such an early time. Like, before this, you know, it was all, like, all reality TV was just, like, competition shows, you know? Like, Big Brother and Survivor and stuff. And, like, to watch somebody just kind of, like, live their life was, like, such a new format. But then with the Anna Nicole show, like, we were so... You know, this was so many years, so many years before we were at all politically correct about, yeah. you know, drug issues and mental health and the way we spoke about women and like LGBT people. And just like, we were just so just, we were just like hellions, you know, like we were just like, we, there was no respect on any level for like anybody in the way that our news was covered or, or anything. I mean, we were just train wrecks and like we loved watching the misfortune of other people on reality shows during this time especially these like you know during this like surreal life time of tv where we would just watch these b-list celebrities sort of like navigate the darkness of what their career to them well this is the thing and i think what met what sets the anna nicole smith show apart from every other reality show is basically she was you know, exploited and manipulated to the highest degree. She was given, essentially, a life, to live a life out in front of a camera. Because before going, you know, before being given that mansion, she didn't have a pot to piss in. She had no money. She didn't have anywhere to live. Yeah. You know, he literally gave her her life, a life, 
and then kind of pushed her into this life and, you know, filmed her and watched her, you know, <laughs> navigate through this. Um, yeah. And I feel like there's so much that we didn't see as well. And it, it, kind, it kind of touched, it's kind of been touched on previously, like from interviews and uh, also the Lifetime film, you know, kind of how it was set up and stuff in terms of, you know, kind of what, was entertainment and what was actually real and I do think that there is a lot more going on in terms of what he was potentially responsible for at that time in terms of enabling her behavior and whatever um that's probably not really addressed or spoken about which makes it even darker which unfortunately makes it even more entertaining yeah I mean uh, to to like go into somebody's house i mean it's almost like gray gardens honestly yeah. it's like this like fucked up version of gray gardens where i can imagine those producers went into her home and were just like what is this like what world is this that you guys live in where she's allowed to be drunk and high like this all day and you guys all act like you don't know i mean that was the weirdest thing is like you know they would all act as if anna was being like normal like, they would try and, like, you know, put on a face, like, oh, this is completely fine. The Anna's, like, literally passing out with, yeah. like, a, a pickle in her mouth. Yeah, like, spit falling from her mouth, choking on her words, like, literally unable to open her eyes. And they're like, you know, business as usual. Cool, carry on, Anna. <laughs> yeah, that's our wacky girl. It's like, what? It's like, oh, that's Anna. And it's kind of like, what? Okay. Yeah, I almost feel like for us it became this sort of like non, um, maybe like something that we didn't realize that we were doing. But like, I feel like everybody watched that show with like an investigative like, like I feel like when I watched Hannah Nicole's show, I was always trying to figure out like what was really going on. Was Howard giving her these drugs? Like, you know what I mean? What was she on? Was it pills? Was it out? Like, what was happening? Like, there was so much to read between. Were her and Howard having sex? Was she having sex with Kimmy, her creepy, obsessive assistant? Uh, there, was, there was just so much happening that, like, wasn't being spoken about. Like, where is Daniel fit in all of this? And, like, where is his dad? And why are they all drunk and high around Daniel? And who takes care of him? And, like, you know what I mean? It was just, there were so many unanswered questions all the time. Um, but, like, I don't know. And, uh, <laughs> I do think even even though it's iconic for so many dark reasons, I do think that cousin Shelley's introduction oh. on that show is actually extremely important. It's like because up to that point not many people knew that Anna Nicole had this whole past that she pretended yeah. didn't exist. And to then have this tornado of a woman show up and sort of confront Anna with her past was wild. Yeah, it was a real viewing glass into her heritage and where she came from and, you know, what essentially she's from. And, yeah, Shelley was quite something, you know. Oh, my God. Like an eccentric aunt coming over for dinner. It was literally a toothless tornado. (laughs) Going through the house potentially on crack, you know. Oh my god! 
trying to steal your silverware or whatever. Oh my god. <laughs> First of all, toothless, I'm writing down toothless tornado. I'll need it for something. I don't know what yet. <laughs> I don't know what my fashion line, my the name of my band, I don't know, but toothless tornado is like you have created comedy gold, sir. That is <laughs> Oh my god. But it's true. Like she just you know, and then I really truthfully I Anybody listening, I, I'm not saying that you need to go... Well, I am saying that you need to go back and watch all of the Anna Nicole show. But if you don't, and you only want to watch one episode that's, like, very pivotal, I really would, like... I would push anybody after listening to this episode to go back and watch when her cousin just sort of shows up in her life. And they're talking about her family and all this stuff that Anna feels very visibly uncomfortable with. And you find out, like how Anna, you know, has sort of poorly treated these people who, you know, they can't help that they're like toothless hillbillies and Anna is so embarrassed of them and sort of like repulsed by their existence that she like has sort of written them all off and they all like still very much care about her, but also they take advantage of her. And, you know, the minute Shelly shows up, she's asking for money. She's asking Anna if she has drugs, you know, she's, and then it's very clear that she comes from a family of people with addiction issues because Shelly could not fucking wait to get lit up. In her mind, it was like, we're going to dinner in Hollywood and I'm going to literally get so fucked up today for free. But there's that bit in the, in, the, in the episode where they're at the dinner table and she says to Anna, have you got any? Yeah. And then, and then like... Anna's kind of like being a little bit aloof, but then she puts something in her hand and passes it across the table. And it's kind of like, that's just so wild on so many levels, you know? I know. The fact that that's their relationship, that that was even aired, you know? Because it, because it, it, for, you know, for all of their trying to, whether it's production or the people around Anna to make it look like, oh, she's just being kooky Anna. Like, that's just how she is. That kind of cements what's going on and, you know, really confirms to everybody that it's, that kind of shit's coming at her from all sorts of angles. God, it's so true. It really does just sort of like throw it in your face. Like, yeah, this is what the show is really about. Like, this is the thing that we haven't been saying the whole time, but you know that this is what this is about. Um, can I tell you my absolute favorite moment from that episode, though? It's, like, something that I've been quoting since I was, like, 14. So when Shelly shows up, she, like, shows up at Anna's gate, and she's, like, holding a uh, a photo album of these, like, photos from when they were kids or whatever. And Anna's, like, passed out on the couch. And Howard comes over, and he's, like, Anna, <clears throat> like, this woman here is here. Her name's Shelly, and she says she's your cousin. And Anna, like, kind of opens her eyes from her nap, and she she's, like, Shelly? And he's like, yeah, Shelly's here, like, your cousin. And she completely ignores... She's like, tell her to go away. <laughs> she completely ignores it. And then when he comes back, she goes... She, like, could not physically care any less that her cousin just came from a literal desert in Texas to see her. Like, she came from Mahia, Texas to L.A. And Anna hasn't even thought twice about it. And Howard's like, sorry, you okay? And she goes... She goes, can you get me some donuts? And he goes, oh, he goes, you want donuts or you just want the holes? And she goes... Donald and some milk. And then she just rolls over and goes back to sleep. <laughs> like, this woman, this toothless woman with, like, a crazy, like, pantsuit on is outside with oh. photos crying. 
was so sad. Oh my god. Um, I've, I've tried to been tra- I've tried to track Shelley down online a few times, but I can't find her because Shelley's not her real name. It's not. No, it was it was something else. I remember reading it was something else, or someone had told me about it, and I just haven't been able to find her because I want to. Firstly, I want to know if she's still alive, but secondly, like because remember when <laughs> remember when Anna paid for her to have her teeth fixed, and then she went. Yeah. Up yes. Paid for. She had like what five different sets of dentures that Anna got her that were like thousands of dollars. She loves them all. <laughs> the last time we see Cousin Shelley is at the Christmas episode. And if anybody can't be bothered to watch the show, you have to you have to watch the Christmas episode because it's it's a real trip. To oh my god. If you if you're listening to this podcast, you'll enjoy it. Like Kathy Griffin is in it. Um, the late China, the wrestler, is in it. Jody Momeyer. And that was like the time that Jody was like rebranding herself as like a feminine, like beautiful woman. Um, so she's like all like glitzed up. Um, but you have in this particular episode, Cousin Shelley out of her fucking mind in this like white pantsuit in the middle of their pool, splashing around, <laughs> screaming. <laughs> and literally kicking with such a jovial, sort of childlike glee in her eye. Like, literally kicking, splashing her feet as if it's a puddle in the street. Like, she's in rain boots. I mean, it's like, it's and just... Not, <laughs> and not a single tooth in her mouth. <laughs> not a single tooth. And they end up so hammered that it makes you feel like you're drunk watching this and oh my god that's such a good way of like summing that episode up (laughs) i'm I'm sober but like when i watch that it reminds me of like what it was like to be on drugs because it's just like from start to end that is true like when the whole room is moving so fast that like you literally just do not give like they are drunk to the point where like their uh, inhibitions are so low that, like, they just don't give a flying fuck what's happening on camera. And... Got a bit where, like, Shelley's... Looks like she's potentially trying to fuck Howard. Then you've got... (laughs) Constantly going, Shelley, move! Oh, my God! Shelley, move! Shelley, move! And she says it times. (laughs) Then it cuts to Shelley on the stairs. Kicking the shit out of these two random girls that walk past her. <laughs> oh, yeah, she beat those girls up on the stairs. Oh, my God. And throws them into the door. And we're not, we're, not, we're not told who these people are or why this is happening, but it's just, you know, it's just Shelly being Shelly. That episode should have, should have been called Shelly Move. I'm not even kidding. It should have been titled Shelly Move. Literally, when Anna... And the really weird thing is, like, when you watch this episode the entire time from the very beginning to the very end... Shelly's such a visible train wreck that it it puts you in this mental place where you think Anna is, like, the, like, one in charge. Like, Anna's the one that needs to, like, get Shelly in line. Like, even when she's telling Shelly to leave Howard alone because he's, like, passed out and, like, choking on his own vomit, Anna's, like, literally can barely... Anna can't even crawl over to them to get Shelly to physically move. She can't make it over. But still, 
for some reason, Anna feels like the responsible one. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, <laughs> but yeah, it's just, it's a great, it's such a great episode. Um, uh, I also read too that Anna Nicole, the show premiered to, even though it like floundered and it wasn't like some big, huge, like ratings juggernaut for E, it still premiered to the highest ratings of any show in E's history up to that point, obviously. Um, because it, it ran for a second season, didn't it? Which wasn't that great because it was totally overproduced and you could tell that 90% of it was um, fabricated. Yeah, um, it was just like, Anna goes to a psychic. Anna, like, yeah. like goes and tries taxidermy. It's like, oh, I hate that. Apparently, though, and I heard this on another podcast a while ago, um, I can't remember who it was, but it was a girl and she was just as obsessed with the show as we are. And she said that they filmed a third season, but it just hasn't unearthed anywhere. Yeah. Um, when I looked up the Wikipedia for the show, there's a season three. And I was like, what? There is a third season, but they never aired it. They never did anything. <gasps> oh, wow. Literally killed to see that. Oh, my God. Could you imagine... Oh, now my mind's like, now my head's spinning. (laughs) They obviously figured out that the formula that they were doing for season two wasn't working because that's switching off. So they have got to have changed stuff for season three. And where my mind goes, it goes deep down to the depths of hell, which is what I want to see. Exactly. No, for real. Like, oh my God. And that was also like, that had to have been... I mean, I guess that would have probably been right before Anna, because in 2003, she became, like, the trim spot girl. So, like, it probably would have been right before that, right? Like, her last years of being, like, big Anna. Or maybe while she was doing that transition. Oh, yeah, you're right. Because if it was 2003, it would have been probably the same year. Maybe that was... God, is there an Anna Nicole season that's, like, trim spot based? I don't think there is. Oh my Lord, have mercy. We have to figure this out. Whoever we need to contact, I will spend whatever amount of money I need to um, get that third season dug up from the grave. I will have sex with whoever I have to have sex to to get that season. Oh, literally. <laughs> <laughs> um, and I also, I read too, again, after this money had been given to her, taken away, given to her, taken away, over and over by like all these these different judges and these different people who randomly felt like she was a gold digger. And then some people felt like she wasn't and blah, blah, blah. Um, in December of 04, a San Francisco judge overturned her $88 million uh, inheritance that she had finally gotten. And then the Supreme court ruled in May of 2006 that she would in fact, the year before she dies, by the way, after she's fought for this money for now, what, 10 years, that she would, in fact, be, be allowed to pursue her husband's fortune. That's how they worded it in the press. Whoa. So she fought for that money, and it was taken away and given back to her what, a total of eight or nine different times. And uh, the year before she dies, they finally decide, like, sure, we'll give it to you. Um, and, yeah, we're entering the, the end of Anna's life, which is really sad. Uh, she announced via video message on AnnaNicole.com in June of 06 that she was pregnant with a baby girl and she gave birth to Danny Lynn 
Danny Lynn Hope on September 7th of 06. Um, and three days after Danny Lynn was born, her son Daniel flew out to the Bahamas to like meet his sister. And uh, during their his visit, Anna woke up in the hospital room to find that Daniel had died of an accidental overdose. He had a mix of methadone, Zoloft, and Lexapro in his system, um, which is like, you know, it doesn't get talked talked about enough, mm. the fact that Daniel died. I mean, it's really just the most horrifically tragic thing that this kid who had this, I mean, this poor kid, Daniel, this poor boy, just put through it. Yeah. It's, it's so, you're so right that it does get overlooked that that's how he died. And it's so sad that, you know, after having seen him always in the background of, you know, the show and always kind of, you know, being in the background of her life, that's the way he went, you know, and he essentially died as a result of learned behavior, I guess. Yeah. It's like really, it's just, and it's, you know, it's even more sad because all of our, like our image of Daniel is as this like awkward, very shy, you know, very visibly uncomfortable to be on camera, just young kid that just wanted to live a normal life. And totally right. You know, I mean, any photo that you look at of Anna, I mean, I went, I was obviously like during my uh, sink into like just crying last night and like being so upset. I was like looking at Google images of Anna and Daniel and like, you know, I mean, this was her, like her buddy that had been through everything, you know, from like the Mejia, Texas days to her stripping to, you know, I mean, he would go to court with her. He was there when she, that's like... The that's the thing, I think, that also gets overlooked. It's like, despite her chaotic life, like, it was really clear that they were a unit and she really depended on him and he really depended on her and there was a genuine love there. And, like you say, he'd been there from the Texas days, the fucking chicken shop days, you know? Yeah. And then for him to go the way that he had... and. It's just, it's just the worst irony, isn't it? She gains a child and loses a child. I mean, utterly heartbreaking for period, but for a parent to experience that, like I can't begin to imagine. She was already in a lot of physical and emotional pain, but for them to that happen, like it just blows my mind. Yeah, it's it's it is it's almost it's too it's almost too tragic to like kind of wrap your head around. Like it's like you said, to gain a child and then, you know, a day, a day or so later to lose your, your rock, you know, like your first child, like the person who, the only constant in her life that she's ever known. Um, and I read, I'm sorry, go ahead. Sorry. It's also really sad that like, it's another far fetched extreme that makes up her life. You know, like from the early days of meeting J. Howard Marshall and how extreme and bizarre that was for then something so, so tragic to happen. Like her life is just this tapestry of one extreme to another that, you know, not many people experience. And thank God, because 
it would be extremely traumatic. Yeah. And like you said earlier, it totally gives you an idea of why she, you know, on top of the fact that she was like, you know, in pain and all these things, like it, it totally makes sense that she, who wouldn't, who wouldn't feel like they need to mentally escape their life if their life was like Anna Nicole's. Oh, absolutely. I mean, to be present in how she lived every day would be torture. I mean, it's just so much chaos and like insanity. Um, and I, I read that she was so, um, or actually I think it was from that documentary that she was so distraught that Daniel, you know, had passed away that she, you know, she refused to leave his side in the hospital room. And, you know, she was just hysterical that they had to sedate her to get her out of the room. And they had to sedate her for the funeral, didn't they? And then she tried, oh, it's just so horrible to say, but. I think it's. I think she tried to open the coffin while they were at the funeral, which is just like. I know. I know. Well, I guess she did. Well, I first of all, when they first sedated her, she came out of sedation and was so, like, you know, she was so out of it and just so mentally sort of like battered that she suffered memory loss. So when she woke up, she had no memory of you know the past few days or whatever she then had to be retold by howard that daniel had passed away so she had to do that twice and then yeah at the funeral she did open the casket and i guess she was like she was shaking daniel's body and telling him to wake up and they were all afraid that the casket was gonna like topple over so they had to sedate i mean it's just like it's too it's too sad like i can't deal with it no, it's 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 awful. Um, and you know, and then we get into this whole fucking, you know, Howard had announced publicly that uh, he was Danny Lynn's father, and then a day later, um, her ex boyfriend Larry Burkhead, who she met from, um, he was a photographer, and he had photographed her. You know, was doing random things, and when she she went to some like children's camp or something and he photographed it uh he claimed that he was the father so these dual lawsuits were filed and then they had this weird quickie marriage like howard and anna got married uh obviously to like help i don't know prove that he was the dad or something i don't know but they got my favorite thing in that paternity dispute, though, was you had the third person, which was Zaza Gabor's ex-husband. Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> had a ten-year affair with Anna and, uh, <gasps> as well, and it was just like, what? It's so Anna. It's so Anna. And, like, I love that she wouldn't say who the dad was. Like, she was like, mom's the word. We'll never know. It's like, eventually we're going to probably need to figure this out. Uh, (laughs) But they got, like, you know, they had this, like, quickie, like, beach wedding in September of 06. Um, They were photographed, like, jumping off a boat. And uh, Anna's bodyguard, the guy that was, like, closest to her, who we're going to talk about a lot here in a second as far as her death, um, he was like, you know, she ha- I knew for sure when I saw those photos of her, like, jumping off a boat, you know, a couple, you know, however many days after Danny had died. Um, she obviously was just sedated. I mean, had to have been just completely high off her ass, like, not even present at all. 
Um, and it's really important to mention that she was the following month, she was discharged from the hospital after a week long visit where she was being treated for pneumonia and a collapsed lung. Um, she, so, okay. So she went to Fort Lauderdale, I guess she had decided like this would be their first step in sort of like, I don't know, leaving the house and like doing something and trying to find some sort of like sliver of happiness. So they went to Florida to like look for a boat to, to buy and they were going to sell a boat and then they were going to take the boat and, and sail it back to the fucking Bahamas or whatever. I don't know. Um, but she agreed to venture out for the first time since her son had died and uh, her bodyguard described her as very clammy. She was sweating. She was vomiting a lot. And this bodyguard has been her bodyguard for a million years, was like very close to her, really, really close to Daniel, like a, a literal family member. Um, so Anna, I guess, asked him, uh, asked her bodyguard to go to the hospital, or Anna was asked by him to go to the hospital. She refused to go. Um, every time she'd gone to the hospital before, it had been some big thing in the press. So she wanted to try and like deal with it in the hotel room. Um she was suffering from an intestinal infection that made her unable to walk. And because of that, she fell in the bathtub and she hit her head. So she also had a concussion. Um, so she was just laying in bed with this concussion, like literally slowly dying, uh, holding a photo of Daniel and just like crying herself into sleep and then waking up. Uh, and this uh, longtime therapist friend comes into the hotel, uh, essentially trying to console her by giving her drugs. She gave her this really extremely potent cough syrup um, that they barely even prescribe anymore uh, and tried to get her to like go to sleep. Um, and it slows down your breathing. So like probably the worst thing she could have given her while she was suffering from a concussion and I mean, on top of that, she also had a fucking hole in her hip because she had been giving herself uh, human growth hormone injections to stay thin. And uh, so she had this infection that was, like, seeping into her blood. I mean, she was literally battling, like, five or six different extreme things at one time. Also pneumonia. Like, it was just... It, it, she had really no shot. It's just, it's so sad. Mm. Um, yeah, so she falls asleep and then she's visited in her, in her hotel room by this local musician named King Eric and his wife. They want to buy her boat. So the bodyguard, King Eric, and the, and the wife like leave and the bodyguard's wife is still there hanging out with Anna. She's like passed out in her bed. Um, the musician's wife comes back to the hotel room, walks in the room and sees Anna unconscious. And she's like, are you, what is wrong with her? Like, she's not okay. They check her pulse. It's very low. Um, they bent her foot and they got no response. Her mouth was gaping open. Um, her breathing had completely stopped. And, you know, they took turns giving her CPR. I think they gave her CPR for like 30 minutes uh, the wife was a nurse, so she knew how to give CPR, and um, and she died. And it's just like it's so 
like we said earlier, it's so crazy that this was so long ago that like a whole, there's a whole generation of people who kind of don't know who Anna Nicole is because it's been that long. Yeah. That's crazy. Actually, when you put it like that, I know Like we're old. Uh. (laughs) Um, But yeah, Anna was buried next to Daniel in the Bahamas and after a long tumultuous People Magazine, Us Weekly, Star Magazine, fucking back and forth. It was determined that Larry was, in fact, Danny Lynn's father, and he got full custody. And um, now Howard lives in... I don't mean, what does Howard do? Do you know? I don't actually know. So I kind of stopped paying him attention when all the lawsuits died down, because... Mm -hmm. So... Some kind of even when Anna died, like the circus still continued. So there was a journalist called Rita Cosby who'd written a book about Anna and she'd made like various allegations. One of the allegations was that um, she alleged that one of Anna's nannies claimed that a sex tape existed of Howard Stern and Larry fucking each other. Oh, yeah. Oh my god, I forgot about this that. Kind of like crazy shit started to come out about kind of what went down behind closed doors, um, which caused Howard to file a $60 million lawsuit. Um, I think eventually it just fizzled out, though. And I think even um, this Rita Cosby person, somewhere along the line, actually said that she didn't think that there was really such a video that existed, much to my disappointment. I mean, could you imagine the amount of money that I would, I would literally work my, the rest of my entire life specifically just to give all my paychecks to get that tape if it was real. Same. Oh my God. Oh God. And, and in the realms of the Anna Nicole Smith reality, like that's really not far-fetched. That's just a walk in the park in terms of what happened in that world, you know? Oh, absolutely. I mean, and it's also, I mean, like the men... I mentioned this earlier. I don't know if I said it when we were recording or not, but like the men in Anna's life, like, I don't know, maybe you can like come back and we can talk about one of her other, cause there, there's, there are all these other relationships that are just like Donald Trump, uh, Christian Audrey or whatever, who I can never say his last name from fucking Ed Hardy. Yeah. Um, who there are like blind items about that people think that he was like a pimp for her and that he was like using her for sexual favors for like business stuff. Um, I mean, it's just, it's wild. She was, I guess, right before uh, she met Howard, she was dating a uh, a drug kingpin, this, like, guy that had, like, fled his country because he was wanted, and he came to Beverly Hills and, like, made a name for himself and uh, was, like, a mob boss drug kingpin. I mean, like... You know, this is, it's crazy. This is literally just one little sliver of, of pie of, of her life. And uh, it's all just so crazy. Sometimes I wonder if things would have been different for her if she'd just met a really nice man that worked in finance. Oh my God. Could you imagine, <laughs> you know, just a, a classic, just a gym, a gym from finance that just, uh, you know, brought home a bucket of KFC, how she likes it. And you know, Twinkies and the Ho-Hos and whatever. <laughs> Donut holes and strawberry milk. <laughs> <laughs> uh, well, do you have anything else that you want to add about Anna before we close this chapter and I go cry again? 
I think I think we've really covered it all. And yeah, I think I'm just going to go to the bathroom and have a little cry. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'm so happy that you did this with me. Thank you so much. This was like, this was a lot to take on. So thank you for, thank you for having me. I had a great time. And yeah, I, I really feel, I really hope that whoever listens to this really does themselves the sheer treat of going to watch at least a couple of the episodes of the Anna Cole Smith show because they will not be disappointed. Oh my God, I hope so too. That's my only, my only hope, my only takeaway. This is my, my only takeaways from this episode. If you get nothing else, I want you to know that the reason Anna Nicole had a drug problem was because of pain. She wasn't some fucking crackhead. She literally had a drug problem because she was in pain her whole life and it escalated and she was prescribed pills. And B, that there's a season three of Anna Nicole show that we all need to unearth. <laughs> and see that we, we will find it. And see that you just need to, you know, go watch at least that Christmas special and just yeah. live in that for a little while. And experience color Cousin Shelley. <laughs> it's fully experienced Toothless Cousin Shelley. <laughs> <laughs> Um, well, Jamie, where can people find you on the uh, on the interwebs, on the internet? Um, so I'm on Instagram, and my username is Jamie Luke Schooler. Um, I'm on Twitter, but I don't really use it. But that again is Jamie Schooler, but with two R's at the end of Schooler. Also, Jamie's a really good photographer, and like wrote a really cool book. And the proceeds for your book went to charity, correct? That's correct. Yeah. So. Um, yeah, it's on his Instagram. You take really cool pictures. You go to my website, which is www.jamielukeschooler.com, and there's some of my work on there, and that's also a link to the book as well. Well, I really want you to come back. I don't know, maybe we fully beat this Anna Nicole horse to death, but like, let's, like, you have to come back and we'll do another episode together. I would love to. All right. Well, thank you so much, you guys. I hope that you enjoyed this uh, horrifyingly dark tale. Um, <laughs> but Jamie, I hope you enjoy the rest of your night. It is day here, so I'm going to go start my day. Well, bye, Troy. Bye. <laughs> bye. I'll talk to you later. Okay, bye. Thank you for listening to The Smush Room, an emotionally broken psycho's Patreon exclusive. Please make sure to head over to Apple Podcasts and subscribe, rate, and review. It really helps your boy. Also, make sure to head over to patreon.com slash evpsychos for more information on this show and other Patreon-exclusive content. You can follow me on Twitter at Troy McGeady. That's T-R-O-Y-M-C-E-A-D-Y. You can also follow this podcast at EBP underscore Smushroom. Thank you to executive producer Molly McAleer and coordinating producer Nicole Matthew. the truth never gets old. Introducing June's Journey, the free-to-play mobile game that will immerse you in a thrilling murder mystery. Join June Parker as she uncovers hidden objects and clues to solve her sister's death in a beautifully illustrated world set in the roaring 20s. With new chapters added every week, the excitement never ends. Download June's Journey now on your Android or iOS device or play on PC through Facebook games.